Let us take our Bibles and turn together to the 15th chapter of Luke. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began, uh, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the, that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Please be seated. Thank you, Nat, for reading our scripture today. Out of Luke chapter 15, and it is a very familiar passage to us, I'm sure. It's a very thought-provoking passage as well. We'll spend just a brief moment talking about that this morning. I want to thank everyone for being with us today. If you're visiting with us, we're very happy to have you. Thank you for coming. Even though the weather's a little threatening outside, still you chose to be with us, and we're very grateful. And then for the very fine way uh, the uh, membership here is uh, attending and and participating in our worship, we're always very grateful for that. Beautiful singing today. Thank you for that, Brandon, and for the very sincere prayer. Thank you, Lon, for that, and for these men who have led us in the observance of the Lord's Supper today. We're very grateful for them and fine way that they've done that, and I look forward to us entering into this portion of our worship. Luke chapter 15 talks about three parables, and I picked out this parable about the lost boy to talk a little bit about today. It'll serve as the function of the real concept that I want to teach from God's Word. And even though the Word is not found in the parable, still the parable is very much about forgiveness. And it's all the way through. In fact, these three parables come as a result of uh, the things that were said about Jesus in verse 1 and 2. In Luke chapter 15, 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Luke 15, 1 and 2. So because the Pharisees were grumbling about that, then he turns and gives them three very important parables. All of them are important from the Lord. But he tells us a parable about the lost sheep, and then he tells us one about the lost coin, and then he tells us a parable about the lost boy, whose theme really is about forgiveness. What a great word forgiveness is. This is the very work of Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and verse 10. Through this man is preached forgiveness of sins. Acts 13, 38. In whom we have forgiveness of sin. Colossians 1 and verse 14. The Bible tells us about the nature of God's forgiving grace. How that he wipes those sins away. Isaiah 38 and verse 17. So I'd like to talk about forgiveness this morning. I'd like to think about it from what the Bible has to say. I'd like to learn about my responsibility in the matter of forgiveness. I'd like to learn about the fact how I need to be forgiving and how I need forgiveness. And then there's another point that I want to talk about. There are some people who just won't forgive, and I don't want to be like them. First of all, let's talk about my responsibility to forgive. I have a great responsibility in this regard. God was concerned about the lost sheep. The man left the 99 and went out and found that which was lost. Brought it back rejoicing on his shoulder. The woman was concerned about the lost coin, and so she swept the house looking for the lost coin. And here we have a story about a lost boy. It's called a prodigal son. Prodigal because he's wasteful. He took his father's inheritance and he threw it away and ride his type of life. He nearly perished of starvation and then, Bible says in a very picturesque way, came to himself, went back to his father. Father forgave him. Bible says the father saw him coming in a distance, ran and joined himself with his son and gave his son a cloak and gave him son, his son a ring and gave his son shoes to put on his feet. And he was lost, but now he's found. Talks about an elder brother there. They're somewhat resentful because this other one had uh, received forgiveness. And I'll talk about the older brother in a moment. They're just some people who don't want to forgive. And I don't want to be like that. Now, a lot of times in this matter of forgiveness, we see how it's emphasized that I'm to have a forgiving heart and a forgiving responsibility about me. And that's so true. But I'd also like to emphasize what the Bible says about the one who's guilty. They have a responsibility. So I'll turn to Luke chapter 17. And in Luke chapter 17, the first four verses there, I think you have a good summary statement of both roles in this matter of forgiveness. My initial study right now has to do with what forgiveness is about. I have a responsibility here about forgiveness. But so does the person who is offending. So let's look at Luke chapter 17. There's a dual role in this relationship. In Luke 17, beginning in verse 1, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and it were cast into the sea, than he should 
cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, I find that fact very interesting right there, that it would be better for him. Uh, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, cast into the depths of the sea. See, there are fates worse than the sufferings that we might suffer or the afflictions that we might be faced. For him to compare the suffering, it would be better for him. This would be better than that. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Luke 17, 1 through 4, he's talking about the importance of the individual. There's a dual role in this matter of repentance and forgiveness. I, as the offender, have a responsibility to repent of my sins. A lot of times the discussion about forgiveness, all it has to say is we talk about the person who's supposed to be forgiving, have a forgiving heart. And that's true. Always be ready to forgive. But there's a responsibility upon the part of the wrongdoer to repent of his sins. I think James chapter 5 helps us see that. In the last portion of the book of James, and I'm thinking about verse 19 there. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. You see, now that can happen. A person can wander off from the truth. And someone bring him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death. You see, he was in a lost condition. To bring him back saves him. He was in a lost condition. He says, now someone who brings a wanderer back has saved a soul from death. He's talking about the sinner's soul there, the one that's wandered off, and will cover a multitude of sins. And so a person can wander off, and that person needs to repent. The focus in James chapter 5 is for me to go out and help the erring and bring them back and encourage them to come back in the way that they should go. A person needs to repent of their sins. It is not merely a matter of having a forgiving heart, though that's important. There's a dual role here in this relationship of forgiveness. And part of that responsibility is upon the one who offends. They have an obligation to repent of their sins. Just as the individual, when he sees that repentance and forgiveness is asked, he has a responsibility to forgive uh, that individual. Galatians chapter 6 and 1 talks about doing that with gentleness and kindness in Ephesians 4.15 talks about doing that out of love. And so the Luke chapter 17 passage, I think, really helps us in understanding the proper relationship of the matter of forgiveness and repenting. The offender needs to repent. Those who are offended need to forgive. It is a matter of love, love for the individual and love for God. In fact, he tells us in Luke 17 and 4, and if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I have a responsibility in this matter. Always be ready to have a forgiving heart, and always be ready to have a forgiving mind about you when the individual comes forward to repent. Turn with me to Matthew 21. I have another parable on this matter of forgiveness and repenting. In Matthew 21, talking about two sons. In verse 28, he said, now what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Notice a close relationship there. Called him son. 
And he gave him something to do, go and work. And there was something of urgency about the matter, because he says, I want you to go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. Well, when he changed his mind, what did he do? He had repented. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change in action. And that's what you see here in this parable. Jesus is really talking about sonship here and what it's really about. Sonship is repenting and doing what God has told us to do. He changed his mind and he went. Now he tells us of another one here in verse 30. And he went to the other son and said to the same. And he, and he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said the first. I'm sure they didn't realize where Jesus was going with this. And so they honored and honestly. They answered honestly. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. You are the religious leaders of the people, but the wicked of the people will lead you into the kingdom of heaven because of their willingness to repent and God's willingness to forgive. There is an important matter here wrapped up in this discussion of forgiveness and repentance. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, verse 32, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. They should have been leading the people in the way of righteousness, but yet the sinners would lead them because those sinners would repent and change their heart and change their mind. When you're talking about forgiveness and the responsibility we have there, a balanced discussion of this subject has got to include the matter of my need to repent of my sins. And then the situation shifts so that now I need to understand my need to forgive the person who has repented. Verse 29 I noticed the NIV in verse 29 changed the wording just a little bit. The son said, I will not go, and he changed his mind and went. That's much of what repentance is all about, changing our heart and mind that leads to a change in action. One says, I will, sir, and they never did go. Doesn't that remind you of Matthew 7, verse 21? Not everyone that enters into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, Lord, those who say, Lord, Lord, not everyone will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. When I think about this responsibility to forgive, there is a dual responsibility here. The offender needs to repent of sin, and the offended needs to forgive. One of the things that I think we need to understand carefully about forgiveness and something that I've seen a lot, I think, in my short lifetime. Some people won't forgive themselves. And when I repent of sin and do what God has told me to do, I receive forgiveness. And I need to forgive myself of the sin. And I think some people carry the sin around with them and the guilt of that sin for years and years because they've never really come to the realization of God's forgiveness and God's grace. They never really understood how God wants to forgive and will forgive when the individual repents of his sin and turns to God. And they carry the guilt around with them year after year and day after day. 
That's a terrible way to live, living with guilt. All the guilt can go away when we forgive ourselves. And we realize that God's gift forgiveness is a wonderful thing. We can receive it, and we can live in the joy of being forgiven because we know that God forgives. Let's forgive ourselves. There's a Bible passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and the verse of verse 10. And in that Bible passage, I'm sure you're very well aware of it. And Paul expresses in the paragraph great joy of the church of Corinth. Now, he had written a first letter, which you and I had studied. And in that first letter, he talked about a number of problems. And he was concerned about how the church of Corinth would receive the first letter. But he receives good news about the church at Corinth and their reception of the truth of the first letter. And he writes about three months later from the writing of the first letter, the second letter that we have. And he expresses some of that great joy in chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about that and becomes very specific about the matter by the time you get to verse 10. So turning in our Bible, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 10. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. English Standard words this just a little bit differently, but the thought is certainly there. And that is that there is a repentance that leads to salvation, but then there's a kind of worldliness that doesn't produce salvation, it produces death. Godly grief or godly sorrow leads one to repent. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. And when we learn about God's great love and God's great care for our lives and God's great plan for us to receive forgiveness of sin, and our hearts are filled with a godly type of sorrow, a sorrow that leads us to repent, there in turn salvation is to be found. And you'll never regret repenting of your sins and obeying the Word of God. You'll never regret that. There is a kind of worldly sorrow, though, and that leads to death. It is not the kind of sorrow that we have over sins that we've committed. It's a different kind of sorrow he is describing here, and it doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. The kind of sorrow that leads to repentance leading us to salvation is the kind of sorrow over the fact I've offended God, and I've disobeyed God, and I've rejected God, and I've filled with grief and sorrow over that, and that godly sorrow leads me to repent. Repentance and sorrow are related, though they're not the same thing. Simply because a person is filled with sorrow doesn't mean he's repented. But here he says in this godly type of sorrow, it leads me to repentance. This grief that I have over the sin of my life has led me to repent of my sin. And that leads to salvation. But that's only part of the story in this chapter. You'll notice verse 11, and I'd like to emphasize that now for the present. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Notice now what this godly sorrow and repentance has produced in your life. Notice the enthusiasm you now have. Notice the eagerness you now have because you've repented. The godly sorrow has led you to repentance, to change your heart and change your mind and change your action. 
and how that's produced an eagerness and a zeal and a joy in your life. At every point, you proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Verse 11. They could have just shrugged their shoulders and said, well, that's just the way it goes. No, they worked at it. In every way, you proved yourselves to be innocent now. Enjoy the forgiveness that God has for you. Because filled with godly sorrow, it led you to repent and change your heart and the way you live. And that leads to salvation. And you'll never regret it when you do. The first thing I need to understand is about the responsibility to forgive. And when I learn about what forgiveness is, then I've got to forgive myself when I've been obedient to the gospel of Christ and repented of sin. And it is a sad thing indeed when I run across people who've never really come to understand how wonderful it is to live in the grace of God. I'd like to take a case study in this matter that I think I see in a person who's having a bit of a time forgiving himself. And it's found in the book of John, John chapter 21. And it's an interesting event in the life of the Lord and his discussion with Peter. But I think what you have in John chapter 21 is a man who's wrestling with his forgiveness. After all, it was Peter who said, Now, I'll never deny you, Lord, even though these others may, I'll not do it. And yet he did three times. Matthew chapter 26, and we see what tragedy that brought about. And Peter goes out and he weeps because he did the very thing he said he wouldn't do, deny the Lord. Now, Peter was there when Jesus said, If you confess me before men, him will I also confess before my heavenly Father. But he that denieth me before men, him will I also deny before my heavenly Father. Matthew chapter 10, 31 and 32. And here he does the very thing. And he's saying, you know, I'll never do that. But he does. Have you ever felt like Peter? Boy, I have. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? I knew better than that. Why did I say that? I know better than that. I don't know why I say some of the things I say or think the things I think or do some of the things that I do and you wrestle with the problem of guilt. The only way to get rid of that is through God's forgiveness, God's way. And here's a man who's wrestling with it. And what does he do? He goes back to fishing, which was his profession. And I have an idea Peter's at the point where he thinks... As far as the kingdom is concerned and the resurrected Lord, I'm all washed up because I denied him three times. And he's fishing. He goes back to what he was doing. And Jesus comes to him and has this conversation. Now, to understand the flow of thought here, you need to understand a little bit about the words that are used. And two words are very prominent in the discussion. And it's led for a lot of discussion about how this paragraph goes. There is a word for love in the Greek language named agapao. And it is, the scholars say, a kind of love that is an intellectual kind of love. A devotion, a conviction. I love this. I'm devoted to this. I am convicted in heart to this. That's the kind of love they say that is the first word here that Jesus uses. 
Peter, Simon, son of John, verse 15. Do you love me more than these? And he uses that special word that I just described. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter comes back with a different word for love there. He uses the word phileo. And phileo, the scholars say, is a word for love that means an affection, a kind of warm feeling uh, for the other person. Yes, I love you. I have this phileo type of love for you, this warm feeling, this warm affection. Jesus, on one instance, is talking about uh, a devotion and a dedication. Peter comes back with a different word. So Jesus asked a second time, verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agapao. Are you convicted in heart and mind? Are you devoted? Are you dedicated? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Phileo. I have a warm feeling for you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now here's where the story turns a little bit because in this instance, Jesus uses the word phileo. He used the same word that Peter used. He says, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and, and carry you where you do not want to go. John adds this comment by inspiration, verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He says, Peter, there's a job for you to do. You need to forgive yourself and be devoted and dedicated and tend and feed the sheep. There's a job for you. And what a great job he had. As he preaches the first gospel sermon, Acts chapter 2. As he opens up the door of faith to the Gentile world, Acts chapter 10. What an important character Peter became as one of the other apostles. They were all very important. And Peter becomes very important. But he wasn't washed up. And he wasn't out, even though through guilt he might have felt that way. We need to forgive ourselves. If you are wrestling with guilt today, if you are having problems with your past, let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says you need to do to repent of your sins. And confess your faith, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And be baptized, that is immersed in water for the remission of those sins. For forgiveness. And you can forgive yourself when God forgives you. Now if you try to handle sin all your own way, God's not forgiving that. And you're still bearing the guilt of sin and the burden of sin. 
Forgiveness means to really receive it is to handle it God's way, to do what God has told us to do in his will, to learn about that and to apply it to yourself. This is what I need to do. This is what I've got to do. And when I do that, then I can know God has forgiven me and I can forgive myself. If you're dealing with guilt today, let's get rid of that. There's no need to be guilty. Get forgiveness God's way. And you can forgive yourself. Once I have forgiven myself because I've been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can learn about this matter of forgiving others. And in doing that, I'd like to turn to a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 18. I think it would be preempt, uh, preemption on our part to just jump to the matter of forgiving other people. There are several matters that need to be considered first before we ever get to the matter of forgiving others. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse. Now, never forget the idea that forgiving others is very important. But God, I've, I've got to learn what forgiveness is, and I've got to learn about forgiving myself. And then I'm in a position to forgive other people. But let's notice how God describes the matter in Matthew chapter 18. And I'd look at verse 21 there about this unforgiving servant that I read. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now I'm sure Peter thought of himself as being very gracious in this instance because the Jews taught, you know, if a person sins against you, go ahead and, and he repents, go ahead and forgive him. And if, another per, if he comes back and does it the second time, go ahead and forgive him. But the third time, you don't have to forgive him that third time. And so he sort of uh, doubles that. He says, seven times? So I thought, you know, at least I can forgive him seven times. Jesus said to him, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You always have a heart of forgiveness in this particular matter. There's never a time when we exhaust the matter of forgiveness. Whenever a person comes and repents of their sins, we've got to have a forgiving heart about us. The Bible tells us in this particular instance, Second. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I turn quickly back to that particular section of passage because here's a man who needs forgiveness. And Paul says you need to forgive him. This was the man who was involved in immorality in 1 Corinthians. And Paul tells them how to handle that matter, and they did. And now it comes to the point of him repenting of, their, of his sins. Now if anyone has caused pain, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 5 he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So, verse 7, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Paul's emphasizing in verse 7, forgive him. He's repented. Now, sometimes forgiveness is hard for us because we feel like we're the offended one and that we shouldn't be forgiven. You know, when forgiveness is hard, that's when we really need to double down and think about the matter of forgiving the other person. This person's committed a very public sin. We've threatened to withdraw from him. We've done that. And he's repented. 
Now you take him back. You see, God wants the coin restored. God wants the sheep found. God wants the boy rededicated, the prodigal. And so he's saying, take him back. Let him be back into the assembly and a part of the congregation once again because he's repented of his sins. You know, husbands and wives, they need to learn forgiveness. There are times when husbands need to ask forgiveness of their wives. And wives need to forgive them. There are times when wives ask forgiveness of their husbands. And when they ask for forgiveness, we give it to them. In our marriages, we forgive. We need to forgive for their sake. And we need to forgive for our sake. We need to forgive. Otherwise, if we don't forgive... We're going to be filled with rage and frustration and bitterness all the days of our life, and it's not worth living that kind of life. God doesn't want us to live that kind of life. He wants us to live a happy, satisfied, peaceful kind of life. And you can live that kind of life if you live it according to God's will. And part of that God's will is forgiving the wrongdoer. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we want the evildoer to earn our forgiveness. I remember one time a gospel preacher made a mistake. It was a rather public matter. But he repented. And his repentance was very public. And I felt sorry for him because of the stature of the man and the respect which the man had earned And yet the public confession was very public and repentance very public and very genuine and very sincere. But another preacher friend of mine that I had a lot of respect for, he said, well, we're going to have to wait and see. I'm going to have to wait and see about him. And I just felt like that the way he said that was, I'm not really ready to forgive him. I'm not really ready to forget what he's done. And I thought, this just does not smack of New Testament forgiveness. When God forgives, He wipes it away. He cleans the slate, and it's gone. And He doesn't hold it against us. And I should do the same thing as I want God to forgive me. I should forgive others when they repent of their sins and they're coming in sincerity to repent of sin. Then I forgive. Sometimes forgiveness is hard. And we want that person to earn it. But it's to be freely given. Because they've repented. And they're to be accepted back into our fellowship and into our relationship. But I need to talk about this point. Because my time is ebbing away. Not everybody's going to forgive you. You see, when this prodigal came to himself, he realized, I'm going to die here. And as you look in Proverbs, Luke chapter 15, he was feeding the swine, which had to be a very repulsive job for a young Jewish man to do. A famine came in the land, and 
All of his sustenance was gone. All of his friends were gone by that time. And now he's feeding the pigs. And he was anxious to eat what the pigs were fed. He'd gotten that low in his life. Sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes the sinners got to get right down to rock bottom before they realize, I can't go on like this. I've got to change my life. And I've got to do better. And here's a way to do it. And that's what this man experienced. He went all the way down to the bottom. But when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, the father's God in this story. The prodigal, that's the sinner. When the father saw the son coming, what does he do? Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. I'm in fellowship with you again. You've repented. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand. You're a full-fledged son of mine again. Here's a ring that shows whose father's house you're in and whose son you are. And put shoes on his feet. I'll take care of the things you need from here on. I'm your father. And Kill the fatted calf. For this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But this story is not over with the prodigal. There's an elder brother. This elder brother, the elder brother in this particular story, are the religious high and mighty of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They didn't want these sinners to come and to repent. They didn't have any love in their heart for them. They didn't care anything for them whatsoever. The older brother comes along and says, what's going on? And one of those servants says, well, your, your brother's come back. Your dad's killed a fatted calf. Everybody's celebrating. And he says, now, when's he ever killed a fatted calf for me? You never even killed a goat for me. He's bitter. Some people won't forgive you. You need to understand that. The elder brother was a kind of man who wouldn't forgive. You don't want to be that kind of person. The father goes out to the elder brother, says, what's wrong with you? He says, well, look, your son took his inheritance, threw it away and ride his living, only getting what he deserved. If he perishes of starvation, so what? He said, your brother has been, has been found. He's come back. He's been saved. God has compassion. He has mercy. And he has love. But the elder brother didn't have any. The elder brother didn't have any mercy, didn't have any love, didn't have any compassion for the brother. He says, well, you never killed a goat for me. Here I've been with you all this time. You didn't do anything for me. No concern for the other. Only concern for himself. There are some people who won't forgive. You don't want to be that kind of person. You want to be the kind of person who will forgive. When that individual comes to you out of a penitent heart and says, I am sorry, I am repenting, then let us have the kind of forgiveness about us 
that says, I take you back, I am forgiving you. Otherwise, we'll fail to realize how gracious and kind God is in forgiving us. If we can't forgive others, how can we expect God to forgive us? And God is gracious and God is merciful. Psalm 86 and 15. God wants to forgive. Daniel chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. He wants the individual to return to him. Let me be the kind of man, you be the kind of woman who is willing to forgive and not be like the elder brother who is filled with resentment and bitterness and frustration in their life. But be the kind of person who says, yes, I will forgive when that person repents. Am I speaking today to individuals who need to repent? If I am, I encourage you to do it right now. I implore you to change your life for Christ. Change your heart, your mind, and your action. And start living for Jesus today. Confess your faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ, as the Bible teaches. And rise up and walk in a newness of life. Isn't that great? A new life, a new start. To carry me all the way through into heaven. Won't you do it now? While together we stand and while we sing.